0: Here we go. Good evening. How is everybody? and good? Yeah, That's great. Good to see all of you. Hope you've had a great week and those of you joining us by live stream as well tonight. Glad that you're here. Welcome. Good to have you with us. Let's go ahead and cut the music here, Brad. And I guess you can listen to it while I teach that. Yeah, that, that'd be fine. So but uh, anyway, good to see you. And those joining by live stream as well. We always have a good group on Wednesday night joining us for a Bible study. So good to good to see you as well. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get started tonight. Father, thank you for your word tonight, the opportunity to, to study it together, and Lord, just to look into what you have for us. And I thank you that you've given us your word, inspired, infallible, a holy word. And God, we know that whenever we open its pages, you're speaking to us. So I pray that you'll do that tonight. God, help us as we look at the, the background of John this evening, that you would bless our time together, those who are here live and those who are with us by live stream as well. God, your presence would be with us wherever we are as we study your word and discuss it together tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, turn with me, John chapter 20, and we will look at verses 30 and 31 tonight. And we will look at uh, the gospel of John, the background, or the introduction to it. Now, don't panic. You you may say, wait a minute, I thought we're starting the study next Wednesday night. And we are. We're starting chapter 1, verse 1. But tonight... We're looking at the introduction to John and that way we can go ahead and get started next week because we'll have 15 weeks to study a portrait of Jesus looking at uh, the life of Jesus based on primarily what he said rather than what he did. You might remember we did the Gospel of Mark. Uh, looking at the portrait of Jesus by his actions well now we're going to look at a portrait of Christ basically from his words because the gospel of John primarily what Jesus said and so we'll be looking at that uh, 15 weeks that will start next Wednesday night and that will take us to Christmas uh, hard to believe Christmas is that short coming up in it my goodness only 15 16 weeks away something like that but we will begin next week looking at chapter 1, verse 1. But tonight we're going to look at the introduction, the overview, and I think that will help you as we start next week, then going into the, uh, the book itself. And so that's where we will be picking up n- uh, next Wednesday night. So let's look at I hope you've turned to chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, because this is a key passage, key two verses to understanding the gospel of John and all about it. So if you have turned there, let's look first of all Uh, You may see on your outline there at our introduction, letter A, and let's look at some things about the Gospel of John. Now the first thing you notice about the Gospel of John is, it is different than the first three Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels that tell us the account of Jesus' life. But you notice right away, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar In fact, if you lay out Matthew, Mark, and and Luke, they have striking similarities. They follow the life of Jesus uh, and and, and his ministry from similar stories, a similar chronology, a a similar teaching, similar, similar emphases. In fact, he'll go from one item or event to the other, and it's the same in all three Gospels. And so, the theory is that Mark wrote first and then Matthew and Luke had marks to read as they wrote their accounts of Jesus' life. So they're reading Mark's account going out, realize, oh I was there, I remember this in addition. So they added two marks what they remembered of the accounts. So that's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C S-Y-N, like synergy, coming together, and optic, seeing, so uh, like optical, and so if you put the word synoptic together, a seeing together. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke saw Jesus' life in the same way. You come to John, totally different. In fact, so much so, people have wondered, was John recording this? Did he even see the same things that the first three Gospels uh, saw? Now, because it's so different, there have been some people who have said, well, they're contradicting each other. I mean, if if John says one thing about Jesus and and Matthew, Mark, and Luke say something else, then they must be inaccurate and they're saying the wrong things about each other. So, therefore, they're, they're not reliable. Correct? Well, that's what a lot of people say. But... Theology professor teaching New Testament had a student come to him one time and they were interacting and he used this as an example. The professor said that this young married student that I had was telling me about his wife. And on one occasion he said we met at a Bible study. Okay another occasion they're talking and he said yeah I met my wife we were sitting on a couch And then another time we were talking, and he said, well, my wife and I met in an attic. Well, where did they meet? He he must be lying, right? Well, he got to talking, and they met in an upstairs attic room where a group was having a Bible study. And they were sitting on a couch together, got to talking, and that's how they met. So, did that mean the first three statements were all inaccurate and they contradicted each other? Not at all. So whenever you look at the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke and the Gospel of John, they're not contradicting each other at all. There are other details about the life of Jesus that John tells us that the first three Gospels do not tell us. Doesn't mean they're inaccurate, doesn't mean one's lying and one's telling the truth, doesn't mean the Bible is unreliable. It simply means John is telling us more details, different details of the same events of the life of Jesus. Now the Gospel of John is interesting because it pretty well stands alone in telling us the story of Christ. What do I mean by that? 90% of what John tells us is not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. doesn't mean it's inaccurate because John tells us chapter 13 verse 34 I was an eyewitness I saw all of this with my own eyes. I'm not listening to somebody tell me about Christ. I was there. And so we know it was reliable, but 90% of a gospel does not have a direct parallel in any of the other first three gospels. So John itself pretty well stands alone. He supplements, he doesn't contradict, but he supplements the first three gospels. Now, one thing that's important to remember is none of the four gospels ever intended to give us an exhaustive account of Jesus' life. None of them. So you see stories like The Chosen or television shows like The Chosen that may say, well, uh, maybe something happened like this. And some people get all up in arms. "Oh, Oh, no, the Bible doesn't say that. Jesus did a lot of things the Bible doesn't tell us about. So John is the one that tells us Jesus did many other things that are not recorded here. This is not an attempt to give you an exhaustive list of every single thing Jesus ever did. He was never intended to do that. And so he tells us that in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. So go to there now, go to the passage. We looked up and John tells us why he wrote his gospel. Chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So uh, the, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he tells us right away there were other things that Jesus did I didn't record, Matthew didn't record, Mark didn't record, Luke didn't record. Many other things. But the reason I wrote, John said, is so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. And in believing that, you may have life. So folks, the reason that John wrote his gospel was because that people would be saved. It was evangelistic. More than it was historical. Was it historically accurate? Yes that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was whenever you read this gospel you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and whenever you do you will have life in his name. Whenever people ask me, they don't know the Bible, they're not familiar with the Bible, where should I start reading? I always go say, Read the Gospel of John. 21 chapters, you can do it in three weeks. Read a chapter a day, finish it in three weeks. In fact, if you sit down in one reading, you can read it in just under two hours. And really, it's best to read it start to finish. You get even a better picture of Jesus' life sitting down in one sitting, reading through the Gospel of John, and in reading it, you, the Holy Spirit can convince you Jesus Christ is the Son of God and in Him you have life. So I always recommend the Gospel of John is where people start. Now go to the last chapter, chapter 21, the last verse, verse 25. Listen to what John tells us. Now there are also many other things Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written... I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So it tells us right away, Jesus did a ton more things in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John ever record. So if you have shows that have conjecture that don't contradict Scripture, what's the, I mean, they're not saying it, it, It's it, this is the way it happened. They're saying it could have happened. This could have happened. That's perfectly fine because you're looking at Many of the things Jesus did that are not recorded for us. Now, let's move on. At the end of our study tonight, we'll have two microphones down here. If you have questions or comments, you can come to those. And that way, those joining us by live stream can hear your comments or questions as well. Go to letter B on your outline. Let's look at the author of the book. You say, well, it's the Gospel of John. That's simple enough, isn't it? Well, the only problem is it's never mentioned in the Gospel that John's the author. So, if it never mentions John as the author, how do we know John wrote it? Well, that's a good good question. Several reasons. One is, early in in, in the early church, they, they realized this gospel was written by John, who was a close associate of Jesus. So, we have the historical tradition, but there's even better than that. Also, if you look, In John 21, 24, we're told the author of the book is a eyewitness of Jesus. So that limits it to 12, right? 12 disciples. They were there, everything he did. Whoever was there writing this book saw everything because they lived with him. So it was somebody, after his ministry started, was there 24-7, it limits it to 12. Judas has died, it limits it to 11. Now, it also says in the gospel that it was written by, quote, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Other gospels tell us that John was referred to as the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So we narrow it down pretty pretty easily. It was John. So that's how we know that John wrote The gospel of John he also mentions in here at the Lord's Supper at the Last Supper though the disciple whom Jesus loved laid his head over on Jesus uh, breast and so we know then that it was John the disciple whom he loved eyewitness close there even though the names not mentioned that it was he was the author so who's John well he was the son one of the sons of thunder James and John his dad was Zebedee they were fishermen started following Jesus and he was there. He also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. So he wrote five books of the New Testament. John was one who saw Jesus as Messiah very early and followed him uh, throughout his, his, uh, his, Jesus' entire ministry. There have been some critics probably within the last, I'd say, 30 years uh, in theological education who have questioned Maybe John didn't write it. Maybe somebody else did. Who would be that someone else? Maybe a disciple of Jesus from Jerusalem. Why would they say that? Because John 1, the beginning, and John 21, the ending, are very different than the rest of the book. Style's different, the Greek is different, the writing's different, language is different. And so they take that to mean maybe somebody else wrote this other than John. I don't think so personally I don't think there's enough evidence to say that. Uh, uh, Sometimes you write differently at different times sometimes I write differently it doesn't mean we're different authors it means that we write different in different settings and I think it's very much what happened in John 1 John 21 and then the rest of the book as well. So I think it's very uh, safe to say that we know for certain John the follower of Jesus Wrote the book. So if that's the case, we're reading for the next 15 weeks an eyewitness account of somebody who was there. They saw him, they heard him. So whenever it says Jesus said, and we're going to see that a lot over 15 weeks, we can know it comes from somebody who was there listening. Now let's go to letter C on your outline, the date and place of the writing. John wrote it probably from Ephesus probably around 85 A.D. How do we know that? Well, if you remember at the cross, what happened? Jesus is on the cross and he sees his mother and he says, woman, behold your son. And he turned to John who was standing by Mary and said, John, behold my mother. Take care of my, Lord." word that's used there literally means take care of my mother. So, after that time, John and Mary moved to Ephesus where they lived out their days. The other disciples were preachers. They went to different areas. They were martyred for the faith. John lived longer than any other disciple. They died for their faith. Some say John died of old age. People say, well, why did all the other disciples be martyred and John live longer and a lot of theologians believe that it was because Jesus had commissioned him to take care of Mary. And because of that, he allowed him a longer life to do that. So they moved to Ephesus. They both died there. There are accounts that John was tried to be martyred there in Ephesus for his faith. But that he survived the martyrdom. He was placed into boiling oil, one of the tradition says. And he survived, so they just removed him out of it. He didn't die. That's tradition. We don't know if that happened or not but there were attempts to try to martyr John as well, but he he didn't die, and he lived to be an older man. So, they believe, most people believe around 85 A.D. Now, where does that time frame fit with the other other Gospels? Well, they're very early. Um, Mark's around 60 A.D., uh, Matthew and Luke around 65 A.D. So, 85 is 20 years to 25 years after the first three gospels were written, John writes his. Did John have access to theirs? Possible. It'd been 25 years. Very possible. We don't know that. But he wrote about 85 AD, 80, 55 years after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, probably from Ephesus. If he wrote Revelation, when did he write it? Around 90. So he's very prolific in his writing. 85 to 90 A.D. wrote both John and Revelation probably within about five years apart. Now, go to letter D on your outline. Let's look at the purpose of the writing. We already saw this a little bit, but I want us to look at it just a little bit more here. Why did John write his gospel? Well, he wanted to paint a portrait of Jesus. And that's why I'm calling the study A Portrait of Jesus that will begin next Wednesday night. But he paints us a portrait of Christ primarily by the words that Jesus spoke, that he witnessed, and that he heard. And as we saw, uh, it's written that the readers might know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by, by believing, you may have life in his name. Now... Let's go to letter C on your outline and look at the characteristics of the book because it, it really is unique. As you're doing that, turn to John chapter 1. We'll talk about this more next Wednesday night. I want to introduce it to you tonight. Turn back to chapter 1 of the Gospel of John and in a moment I'm going to talk about chapter 1 verse 1. John 1, 1. Four characteristics of the the uh, the gospel of John that I want us to talk about tonight and we'll see these as they play out over the course of the next few weeks the first characteristic of the book is the word became flesh John is the one that tells us Jesus the eternal word from heaven came down to earth and God became human he became flesh did you notice the other gospels begin their story of Jesus with his birth in the manger? The, the Christmas narrative. John does not have a Christmas narrative, does it? He doesn't begin in the manger, never mentions a manger. He starts much earlier in Jesus' life, and that is all the way back to the beginning because he's eternal. He's not a created being, he is eternal. So the word became Flesh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. By the time John wrote in 85 AD, there's already a teaching circulating in all the churches that Jesus was not eternal, he was a created being. It's called Gnosticism. By the way, Mormons believe that. Jehovah Witnesses believe that. There are a lot of groups today that believe Jesus is not eternal, that he's a created being. Well, there was a teaching called Gnosticism that began to teach that. So John, very first verse, combats Gnosticism and says, in the beginning was Christ. He was the Word And that's the most distinctive feature about him. He is the Word made flesh. Now, what is the word, Greek word for word? Anybody know? Logos, exactly right. Logos, let's talk about that. That was the name of our public reading of the Word, wasn't it? Okay, let's talk about Logos a moment. Lagos was not just the name, a Greek word for word, it was a concept. And the philosophers of the day, the Greek philosophers loved to kick around the concept of Lagos. What is Lagos? Well, they taught, the Greek philosophers, every human being has logos within them. What do they mean by that? Well, they defined it in different ways. Uh, Heraclitus says it's fire, it's who you are, it's your personality, that's your logos. And the Stoics said, no, it's your breath, it's the wind, it's what you breathe, it's like, it's like the air you breathe, it, it's what makes you human as opposed to the animal. It's the, it's the, and the other, other Stoics said, no, no, it's the ability to know right from wrong. Everybody has, humans have that, and that's your logos. So it was a concept, it was a principle. Aristotle combined it with wisdom and said, this is what makes humans who they are. It's the logos. So philosophers love to gather and kick around the concept of logos. Sometimes defined as word, sometimes defined as speech, sometimes defined as reason. But philosophers love to talk about the topic of logos. So John comes along what does he say? In the beginning was Lagos. Every philosopher of the day would read that and go, Amen John we're with you. And the Lagos was with God. Yes. And the Lagos was God. And then he starts talking about Christ. And what John is saying is and the philosophers of the day would have gotten it. Logos is not a philosophical concept. Logos is a man. It's a human. It's a person. It's the divine being who created you who came down to this earth and walked on this earth. Let me tell you his story. And so he begins with the concept of Logos that all agree on. And he used that to transition to To Jesus. And so that's why the concept of the Word becoming flesh, very big, pervades the entire Gospel of John. Now here's something interesting. Interestingly, it was the humanity of Jesus that was questioned in the early church, not the deity of Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? Think about that. Here's Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, And the early church believes that. But then a group 50 years later began to question Jesus. Was he really God and man together? And you would think they would begin to question, well, was he really God or not? But that's not what they questioned first. They questioned whether he was human or not. They accepted he was God. So a teaching developed within the church that taught Jesus was Not really human. He he was God. But if you were to shake hands with him, you couldn't. You'd go right through him. He appeared to be human, but he wasn't. And so the very first teaching in the early church that threatened the, the, the doctrine of the church was questioning whether Jesus was human or not. A teaching known as doceticism. So John, throughout his gospel, we're going to see, he emphasizes the human nature of, of Jesus. You're going to see all through John, he's telling us he was human. I was there. I saw him. So in the gospel, you have Jesus traveling, walking with his mothers and brothers from one town to another. He didn't fly. He walked like a human. He emphasizes he walked from this place to another. John emphasizes Jesus asking for a drink of water from the woman at the well. Nobody else recorded that. John recorded Jesus crossing the sea. John records Jesus falling asleep, as humans do, falls asleep. John records Jesus spitting on the ground and making some mud and putting it on a man's eyes. Jesus, uh, John records Jesus weeping over Lazarus. The others don't record that. Very human emotion. John records Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The other Gospel writers don't go into that great detail. Very human-like thing today. John records Jesus dying, bearing, resurrected, and then appearing afterwards. John's the one, that tells us, with nail prints still in his hands. So all the way through John, he's trying to get the point across, folks, he's as human as you and me. Because early in the church, his humanity was what was questioned first. Now let's go to the second characteristic of the book. Jesus' divine qualities. Okay, I I thought you were trying to say he's trying to show Jesus as human. He was. But he also showed Jesus is God. God. And he did it in groupings. We're going to see that as we go along. He'll group a story here and group stories over here and group stories over here. Each one of the groupings pointing to the deity of Jesus. The fact that he is 100% God and the stories move from the abstract to the concrete. We'll see that as we go through. He tells us Jesus is life. Well, who's life? God is life. But so is Jesus. And Jesus is light. And Jesus is truth. And Jesus is glory. And Jesus is grace. And Jesus is the word. All the characteristics God has, Jesus is. So John is very careful to point out the qualities, the divine qualities of Jesus. In fact, it was John who told us the story where Jesus said, I am the great I am before Abraham was I am. And they wanted to kill him because he said he lived before Abraham. Well, who would, who would make that claim except God? Because he's eternal. And so John is the one that tells us that story, not the other gospel writers. So you see, in the characteristics of John, the Word became flesh, the emphasis upon the human, but also the emphasis upon the divine. Third characteristic, Jesus as Fulfillment. Now, the Old Testament, as you study the Old Testament, it points to a fulfillment in the future of all it's talking about. You close the, if all you had the Old Testament and you close the book, you would say, huh, there's more to the story I'm not reading. If you have nothing but the New Testament, you begin it by saying, huh, I wonder what came before so when you put them together, you have the complete story. And, and John is the one that fits the pieces together for us. He is the one that says, Old Testament concept of light, Jesus is the light of the world. Old Testament concept of the shepherd, he's the great shepherd. Old Testament concept of, of resurrection and life, he's the resurrection and the life. Of truth, he's the truth. And so John fits together for us Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of Man. He's the great prophet Moses talked about It would come. It's Jesus. And so John is one who, who over and over gives us the Old Testament concept and tells us it's fulfilled in Christ. But there's more. John doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell us, if you want fulfillment, you find it in Christ. He didn't stop with the Old Testament. He he opens up to anyone who reads this letter. It could be 2,000 years. It could be today. It could have been back then. Whoever reads this letter, not only are the prophecies fulfilled, you're fulfilled. Because Jesus fulfills you just as he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. So... John is very big on the concept of fulfillment from the Old Testament, but as well as in your own heart and life. One more concept he talks about, characteristic, we'll talk about that. And that is the principle of faith. The principle of faith. One of the things you notice all through the Gospel of John is the word faith. That's how you have a relationship with God is through faith. It is John who tells us that Jesus gives eternal life. Jesus forgives sins. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of life. He's the resurrection. John's the one who tells us all those things. But he also tells us something else. Those who have faith, he said, will have everlasting life. And those who have faith, John tells us, will never die. And those who have faith, John tells us, are the children of God. John tells us all those things. And then conversely, he tells us, those who do not have faith are condemned. They're condemned already, he said, because they don't have faith. And he also tells us, those who do not have faith will not see life. And he tells us those who do not have faith will experience the wrath of God. So all the way through the book, it's a contrast. Do you have faith or do you not have faith? If you have faith, you're blessed. If you do not have faith, you're condemned. If you have faith, you have life. If you have, do not have faith, you're dead. And you see this contrast. The folks I believe carries over into our life. You look around us, those who have Christ have life. Those of us who do not have Christ do not have life. There's death, there's spiritual death. Paul talked about that later on. So John, to describe faith, uses a very simple Greek word. John's a simple writer, by the way. Nothing complex about this book at all. He didn't want it to be. He wanted everybody to understand it. He uses a very simple Greek word to describe faith. It's the word pistuo. One of the most common Greek words of the day, as you study the Greek language, it's a very simple word and it means believe. Believe. Those that believe in your name will be saved. Those that have bel- believe in Christ will have eternal life. What John 3, 16 says, if you believe the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have everlasting life. And the word pistuo meant... To put all of your rest all of your weight entirely upon something so he used a very simple term believe pastuo that you place all of your weight on Christ and you'll have life so those are the four characteristics of the book couple of other items we'll take your questions or comments and we'll close if you look at letter F on your outline it's the great I am in the Gospel of John Jesus nine times says I am, I am the bread of life, chapter 6. I am the living bread, chapter 6. I am the light of the world, chapter 8. I am from above, chapter 8. I am the gate of the sheep, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life, chapter 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life chapter 14, I am the true vine, chapter 15, nine times he says I am the whatever analogy he uses. No other gospel writer Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't say that. John tells us nine times these are called the I am signs. Signs of uh, giving us clues as to who Jesus is. Now you you know as as I know as I know you do know, the name for God in the Old Testament was I am I am that I am. Uh, whenever Moses went to Pharaoh, that's who God told him to tell him who sent him. So I am is the Old Testament name of God. So it is no accident that nine times Jesus says, I am. Now there are. Groups of people today who say, I've had people tell me this personally, Jesus never, ever directly claimed to be God. That's something you believers have claimed for him. He never claimed it. In fact, not this a few months ago, uh, Lisa and Camden and I went to Salt Lake City and we went outside the Mormon uh, temple and we're looking at it and a couple of Mormon missionaries came up. We got to talking to them. And so I I asked them, do you believe that Jesus is God? Oh, oh, he's the son of God. I said, no, no, not what I asked. Do you believe he's God? God in the flesh? Oh, no, no, we don't believe that. He's the son of God. No, he's God in the flesh. Another Mormon missionary several years ago told me, he never claimed, show me one place he ever claimed that. That's something you claim for him. He never claimed to be God. Nine times in John. He says, I am. And if you remember, whenever he was talking to the religious leaders about, before Abraham was, he didn't say, I was. Before Abraham was, I am, present tense. Another direct claim, he is God in the flesh. So, we see this in John more than anything else, the great I am statements. He's the only one that tells us that. Nine times Jesus shows us he is God. So when people tell you that's nothing Jesus ever claimed, that's something you claim. No, no, it's something Jesus claimed, and that's why we believe it. Now let me give you the outline and we'll close. Very easy outline of the book. It's very simple. Chapter 1, first 18 verses, is what's called the prologue. That The prologue, you say the word logos in there, probe that what came before so before the word started first 18 verses he gives us the prologue and then from chapter 1 verse 19 through into chapter 12 we have the book of signs that's where Jesus uses a lot of the I am statements the book of signs showing us clues as to who he is But chapter 13 it changes then it becomes the book of glory the book of glory And that is chapter 13 through the resurrection, chapter 20. And then chapter 21 is the epilogue, which means the ending of the word. So, we've got the prologue to begin, the epilogue to end, and in between a book of signs and a book of glory. God shows who He is, Jesus shows who He is, and the glory that He has from the Father. And that's really simply the outline of John. It's the simplest outline I know of. And that way you can kind of hang your, your, your mind on that outline as we go through it. And I think knowing these things will help you understand as we start next week, next Wednesday night, in a little greater way, what John is telling us about Jesus. Now, questions or comments, if you have any, make your way to the microphone, if you will. That way we can have everyone hear what you would have to ask or comment on. Anybody live here that wants to ask? Well, everybody's live, but I mean in person here. But so, any questions, comments? I didn't cover it that well. Surely you have some questions. I'm sorry again. Yes, yes, yes. In in case you didn't hear that, uh, Bill asked, "Will we address?" Uh, the trouble Witness is using a God rather than the God, that, that whereas the definite article is what's used, but they substitute in, in the Book of Mormon a God, that Jesus was a God, you know, not not the God. And so, yeah, we'll address those as we go through it too. Absolutely. So, very good. Other questions or comments? All right. Well, we will wrap up with a word of prayer. It's good to see you tonight and next Wednesday night. We will begin with chapter 1 uh, looking at, and what's interesting about chapter 1, I just got to get this in before we start. It's all about John the Baptist next week. There had been a, a, another group within the church, all kinds of groups trying to fracture the early church. There had been another group within the church uh, that developed very early, John the Baptist followers. And they tried to elevate John the Baptist higher than Jesus. Uh, And so we see in chapter 1 John addresses that right away by saying no no we have a testimony from the John the Baptist that begins in chapter 1 verse 19 that he himself said I was there I heard it he himself said he he is so much greater than I am I'm not worthy to bend down and unlatch his sandals and so we see in this John's the one that really tells us that John the Baptist was the one that said he must increase I must decrease because he's greater than I am. That was directly to the teaching in the church that developed that John the Baptist's followers said he was greater than Jesus. We'll talk more about that next Wednesday night. Let's pray together and we'll dismiss. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity to talk about your word. Your word is life. It's everything John told us that it is. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you'll take what we've learned about this great gospel And God, just a very simple telling of the life of Jesus, more more theology than historical, but telling us exactly who Jesus is and what he accomplished. So Father, I pray that you'll take what we learned tonight, and as we go through these next 15 weeks, looking at a portrait of Christ from this gospel, you will be our teacher. And God, may we know Jesus better and love him greater at the end of this study. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good to see you. See you Sunday. God bless y'all.